Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This week, we are sponsored by and supporting friend of the podcast, Ksenia Gray, who has recently launched her own social media company, Storytellers. How exciting. She's taken her 10 plus years of experience and is now working with brands and individuals to build their following and reach potential clients by making their audience feel like they are part of the journey and building a genuine connection. She's also offering a 10% discount for new clients that join before the end of January 2021, which is brill. You'll get an assessment of your profiles and an action plan moving forward that includes content creation, copywriting, and outreach. And I, I mean, we both know firsthand, Serena, what a big thing social media is and what an impact it has. So this is so brill. So if you're ready to take your social media to the next level, head to storytellersuk.net or at storytellers underscore UK on Instagram. Hello and welcome to the final pre-Christmas episode of Kitchen Club with me, Serena Lau and my wonderful friend, Sarah Malcolm. Kitchen Club is the podcast that brings you honest conversations from around our kitchen table. Each week brings a new guest, a new area of expertise to get stuck into, and a new recipe created using our guests' three favourite ingredients. This week, we are chatting to the lovely Poppy Okocha, a horticulturist and regenerative grower on a mission to inspire people to engage with and connect to the natural world. We speak to Poppy about leaving the fast-paced modelling world to embrace a slower life in deep connection with nature, her love of growing and living on a boat in London before now heading to Devon to start her own very exciting garden project. Poppy's three favourite ingredients are such a hit with us. So if you'd like the delicious recipe, then you can grab it over on our Patreon page where you can also show our podcast a little bit of support and love and get lots of recipes and bonus content in return. So we'll leave that in the show notes below. Here's the gorgeous Poppy Okocha on Kitchen Club. Hi, Poppy. Welcome to Kitchen Club. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. 
<laughs> it's really exciting. And you are taking time out from your day for us because you've got building works going on. You've got loads of, they're doing the floor at your home. Yeah, there's there's a lot of work going on. The floor downstairs is being laid, which is really exciting. It's an old gymnasium floor. So it's like got all these beautiful kind of like rough bumps and things. So it's going to be lovely down there. Yeah. <laughs> Stunning. Sounds amazing. So exciting. Um, should we dive right into your three ingredients to begin with? Yeah, yeah, for Can sure. Can you remember what you told us? Um, I remember potato because they're always on my mind. <laughs> um and then it was fennel and potentially garlic mm-hmm. oh, you, yeah. a- you, you actually specifically said fennel seeds so that's what I've gone for yes and it is specifically fennel seeds I do like bulb fennel but yeah the seeds are just like so delicious and they're so good for you so yeah I have to say, Poppy, when when we got your three ingredients in, whenever we get three ingredients for our guests, I always sort of relay them to my partner and he's like, oh, yeah, they're okay. And then I said to him, this week it's potato, garlic and fennel seeds. And he was like, yes, because fennel <laughs> seeds is also one of his, like it would definitely be on there of his three ingredients. So yes. yeah, it's a good I pick. thought that was quite a niche ingredient to pick. Well, I cook with fennel seeds a lot because, I mean, I think they're a really delicious sort of gentle flavour and they're also so good for digestive support and the gut. So like in terms of their flavour profile and also their kind of like herbal uses, they're just so great and diverse. They're also amazing for like UTIs. So for women, they're fab herb to have in the house. Um, And in the garden in the new house there's just fennel everywhere and it's all gone to flower and now to seed and so um a few weeks ago I was just out there with a little jar gathering all the fennel seeds so now we've got fennel seeds on everything um (laughs) amazing what would you usually put them in I put fennel seeds in like roast potatoes I'll coat the roasties in fennel seeds um any kind of like Thai type flavored things I put them in salad dressings I put them in my tea Mm. (laughs) like different curries also I'll put them in yum so Mm. good and what is it about potatoes and garlic poppy I mean (laughs) they'd probably be up there for me as well so I mean I can get it but maybe you've got like a lovely story around those two yeah so potatoes are just I don't know why but I just love them I think it's potentially my body type I'm quite like um tall and slender, and I need to eat a lot and so I think potatoes are one of those like filling foods that when I go away from the table having had loads of potatoes I'm like yeah I'm definitely full um and when I was younger when I was even even smaller than I am now um I used to eat when we went around to my grandma's I'd eat like all the roast potatoes and my uncle used to joke that if I was coming she'd have to make double roast potatoes because <laughs> I would just like annihilate them so um yeah potatoes I just think are really versatile in our climate they're also a great food to be growing which is like a crop that's like again really filling um and yeah I think that you can make so much including vodka so what's not to like I know <laughs> when... what's your favorite way to cook a potato I think this is really interesting about people yeah so my like gut reaction is roast potatoes but like a good mash Mm, Mm. so good especially like with the peel or skins left on a couple of parsnips yes (laughs) Sarah favorite way to cook a potato I would say roast potato but like maybe really small what's it called when uh, is it called palmier no did I make that up when you chop them really tiny and then chip them 
posh chips. <laughs> kind of. It might be called a palmier, but it might have made that up. It's posh chips. Posh chips. <laughs> yeah, all right. Posh chips. That's how I like them. <laughs> um, oh, Serena, do you, want to, do you want to tell us what you've what you've made then? For I posh- will indeed. So Sarah clearly thought that I didn't have enough to do this week. So she requested that I make you Hasselback potatoes, which are the most time-consuming potato to cook, but well worth it. It was delicious. I did Hasselback potatoes with roasted cabbage, cherry tomatoes, almonds, fennel seeds, and garlic what else oh garlic obviously I knew there was something else and loads of roasted garlic and yeah. then like lemon zest basil leaves I also I for people who I'm not sure actually if you eat cheese or not Poppy but people who eat cheese it's quite nice with a bit of crumbled cheddar but it's equally delicious without mm. do you know I don't think I've ever had Hasselback potatoes before I can't even visualize what that looks like <sighs> Shall I show you a picture quickly? Yeah, do. And I'll explain to listeners as well, if they haven't, it's when you slice the... Oh, yes. Yeah, That's you slice about. into it. <laughs> the texture is unreal as well, because they go like cr- so crispy and you can just like get oil in there and get salt in there. And oh, it's just like the best texture of potato. When I sprinkled the fennel seeds, I kind of sprinkled them so they went in between the, in between the flaps. <laughs> in between the folds um which was actually a good decision because it meant when they cooked the potatoes tasted like fennel seeds nice yeah so normally before corona times we would have cooked it for you but now we're just going to have to send you the recipe and a photo and let you fend for yourself i guess it will be my dinner tonight (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) has um has food always been a big part of your life growing up poppy yeah i (laughs) Food and nature for me are like utterly like connected, not just in terms of where our food comes from, but also my sort of memories. And so I grew up until the age of six in London and obviously you don't have tons of memories at that age, but the only ones I do have are all just food and nature. And which is kind of funny because obviously you kind of assume a small little person in a big busy city, you'd kind of remember some of like the traffic or the noise or some of that, but I really don't. It's like all in like a hedge or like looking at snails in the bottom of our garden or mum showing me spiders and then beyond that it's like being in the kitchen with mum my mum and dad are massive cooks um my dad's Nigerian and so a big part of like making sure that my, me and my siblings were connected to the culture was showing us how we cook food the different ingredients and all that so that we were always in the kitchen with mum and dad mum spent a lot of time in Italy so she's big into Italian style food and like actually one of my best memories is being in the kitchen with my mum Um, she had this massive dress that she wore when she was pregnant with my sister which used to sit on her bump and it was red with little white flowers and she'd be making pancakes which had this certain smell which were my favorite smells and I was underneath her dress so it was like a big tent of flowers with like the sound of the pancakes and like that's a memory that I don't know how much of it over the years I fabricated just by replaying it in my mind over and over but it's just one of my best memories ever like the sun coming through her dress and the pancakes and her skin like yeah that's adorable I love that yeah Yeah. it's funny that though isn't it how when you replay a memory I'm sure that we do add things to it over time and embellish it but exactly like the smell of pancakes is like a really powerful part of that memory now but I don't know (laughs) I wonder if she was even cooking pancakes that day (laughs) (laughs) 
That's so beautiful. So nice. I actually would like add to that as well that um that then as I've grown up and um sort of went on my journey of like self-care because I was diagnosed with IBS a while ago, then again like the 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 nature and the food just sort of collided. And I feel like over time I'm just seeing more and more how our food security, um, the way we grow our food, the way we interact with our food just ties entirely into nature. Like our food is nature, we are nature. And it's just like this big kind of mess in a good way. <laughs> We've got, um, we want to speak to you about this quite a lot. So <laughs> this is like the starting point for nice. everyone listening to, yeah, <laughs> you speak about it so beautifully, Poppy. But um, before we get into that, we just want to sort of learn a bit about, a bit more about your journey into into where you are today into horticulture horticulture and regenerative growing gosh can't can't say those words it's a mouthful (laughs) yeah and just yeah your journey into it because obviously you've had an amazing modeling career and you I mean you're still so young and you've done so many you've had like so many different weaves in life and have gone on such an amazing sort of learning journey so basically, please just tell us all about that journey and, and how you have got to be in Devon now today. Mm, okay. Well, I'm a bit of a, I can get a bit ranty, so we'll see how long Go it on. takes me. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, where will I start? Okay, maybe I'll pick off from six. So then when I was six, we moved to South Africa, my family and me, um, where I went to a Steiner school, which was really um, strongly connected to a biodynamic farm, which is a regenerative growing technique, which is growing with the idea that the farm is an organism in itself. So you kind of look at the different parts and see how they interconnect. So for example, the cow is a really important part of biodynamics because you understand that the cow is eating the grass and fertilizing the land. So it's this sort of cycle thing. And you also acknowledge um, like the the moon and the planets and how that affects planting and how that affects water cycles in the, in the earth, etc. So that was like kind of when I was really young, just sort of trickling into my mind. I remember we had like a few um, lessons where we'd like draw in our textbooks um, how to make a compost heap. I remember going to that farm and like seeing the cows and I don't know. So I think there'd been a few moments when in my very younger years that really um, sparked my interest in the natural world, um, especially when it comes to natural world and food. Um, And so then came to back to England when I was um when I was 12 and um was living in the countryside um and it was a beautiful part of England but a part of England that's very heavily farmed with monoculture farming that is predominantly not organic so when my dad used to come and visit he'd kind of be like saying to me and my siblings when we went for walks this is beautiful but this isn't actually how landscapes are meant to be and even though we've kind of in the UK got used to seeing landscapes that look like this and we associate them with the beautiful British countryside it's not actually how it's meant to look Um, and he always used to laugh so much at the fact that there's massive expanses of land and and no farmers he'd always be like where are the farmers (laughs) um and yeah and and it's funny because he's coming from the perspective of a man who grew up in Nigeria who had observed 
agriculture in a very different kind of light where he's seeing people interacting with the land and when they are interacting with it they're touching it they're not just sitting up in their tractor obviously tractors are an amazing invention but it's just this funny juxtaposition of like so much farm so little farmer um and yeah so then that was kind of percolating into my mind my mum had a garden which was a really massively healing part of the transition back to the UK so I saw like the power that it had totally transformed her actually creating that garden with us um and then at the age of 18 I got to a point where I wasn't really that interested in plants anymore I was more interested in like partying and just doing what you do when you're 18 (laughs) Mm -hmm. and um and was meant to go to uni, ended up not, ended up going to London and starting modelling, which was really fast paced. Um, I was super lucky that it went well. And so I ended up traveling tons. Um, It was really stimulating. It was fun for a bit, but then it wasn't. And I started to burn out, which literally took a couple of years. But when you like go from being in the countryside like sort of farting around in the woods with your friends with a couple of ciders to like you know in the city going to New York doing this doing that it's just like such a contrast anyway I ended up um getting really awful stomach issues I couldn't figure out what was wrong every fashion week it would flare up it was just awful I'd be like debilitated and um in the end after hassling doctors for ages was told that it was IBS um by that point I was like okay I'm gonna have to take this into my own hands because western medicine didn't seem to have a lot to offer me and um so part of kind of stress management which I'd found out was a big part of it was reconnecting with growing things. Um, and I found my old book on biodynamics um, and just started growing stuff. Started out with house plants um, and it sort of escalated. <laughs> Met some women at a festival who um, were making flower crowns and sat down with them for a whole day and then was like, I've got to work plants. Like these ladies know what they're doing. <laughs> um, and so then went back to London and, and started working in a florist for a bit. And then from there started studying horticulture with the RHS um, and then did various courses in permaculture and agroforestry in the UK and in Spain. And um, that was in tandem with modeling and now it's getting to a point where uh it's sort of the the scales are tipping I guess mm. I'm finding myself more and more doing the stuff that I really love and makes my soul sing and hopefully is having an like a benefit to the world and the people um and the planet yeah so that's kind of how I ended up here and yeah and part of that was that in that journey when I first started growing I was living on a boat in London with my boyfriend and obviously when you're on a boat you don't have land so I was um like growing in containers all over the boat and that was actually like the last summer of growing in those containers Gardener's World (laughs) came and documented it so that's a really nice like I'm gonna look back on that and be like oh the last last summer on the boat um and yeah, so now I'm here with actual garden space, actual soil, surrounded by like the most amazing um, community regenerative projects. Um, Devon is like a real hotspot for that. So, yeah, with the beaver, the beavers in Devon as well. The bead. Oh yeah, yeah. I think that is in Devon. <laughs> what the ones that are spoken about in um in Wilding? Yes, like Isabella Tree. 
yeah and they've yeah. been they are who's been um spring watch and autumn watch they've, I mean that's been like my program of the year is it it? anyway but they've been keeping track of the beavers in Devon <laughs> love that <laughs> so are you still modeling a bit um alongside yeah. everything yeah a little bit I mean covid has pretty much like brought the fashion world a bit to its knees um so sort of modeling a bit but yeah (laughs) I'm really interested in this transition from modeling to more I don't know what the word is um because I don't just mean you but into like a more conscious Mm. job uh because it's it's something that I feel like I've seen quite a lot recently. And even my mentor, she used to be like a super, super successful model. And now she's a self-love coach expert. And yeah, I just, I think it's interesting, the contrast between like the intensity and so much consumerism and stuff in the modeling world, if that kind of fast tracked your journey into where you are now. Yeah, definitely, definitely did. I think that that alongside getting sick, Um, and when I was sick and started like trying to heal myself, um, I was also at the same time learning more and more about the climate crisis. And I think that, you know, as a kid in school, they teach you about it and stuff, but that it's one thing knowing it versus believing in it and like understanding its implication for you and other people. Um, and so it, it was like this weird thing where I was learning about caring for my body alongside learning about caring for the earth and realizing that those two things were connected because like, the way that we treat or the way I was treating my body and so many people around me were, was that we were, we were expecting it to perform. We were kind of extracting from it without giving back, um, and expecting like really high levels of productivity from our, from our bodies. And, and we're expecting the same from the planet and from each other. Like our relationships were also sort of marred by this expectation of performance and output. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, being in a world that is just so fast, um, that is just so kind of performance oriented. And I mean, performance is great. I think there's definitely a space for beauty and wonder and magic and performance, but within a context of a regenerative mindset, you know, like the mindset of like our bodies, the planet, each other, none of this is is infinite. Like all of it has to rest. And, um, and actually this autumn winter period has been really like amazing lesson because this year, um, like with COVID, Black Lives Matter, moving house, I feel like autumn winter, I'm like finally like just sitting down and it's really lovely to like tune into that same cycle the plants are going through of like, mm-hmm. you can't just be in spring forever. Um, so so yeah, definitely in answer to that question, I think that being in the modeling world 100% fast tracked me and almost forced me into this because I was getting really sick. I didn't really have a choice in a way, but that was a good thing in the end. Because mm. it's such a big contrast, isn't it? Like, you know, you're living such a slower and more mindful life now compared to what is just mad when you're flying to New York and flying around the world and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a million miles away from having your garden in Devon. Mm, mm. And I think that there's also an element of like, as I was slowing down, understanding what parts of existence really, really mattered Mm. um, and having 
the luxury of being able to be like, actually, those are parts of my life that I don't want to necessarily put energy into. Um, yeah. And, and, and yeah, if, if we all had that luxury, I wonder what the world would look like. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Very true. It's been such a year, hasn't it? For, um, for this relationship for us to get back into nature I mean having to having our only sort of social spaces being outside and being in parks and and definitely at the start of lockdown I mean we had organic grower Anna Greenland on season two of the podcast and we were talking to her in depth about growing and the excitement but it has really been you know everyone's been enjoying growing and getting themselves in nature so much more now than ever that we're not commuting into cities every day mm-hmm. and I think definitely for the nation yeah we've sort of appreciated nature so much more mm-hmm. um but the way you talk about it Poppy is just a really beautiful thing and yeah now let's dive into the our relationship with nature and um, with the planet and how important this mm-hmm. is for mental well-being, physical well-being. Mm. Yeah. Guide. Mm. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I mean, what you said basically is it in a nutshell. Like, it's not until fairly recently that a small number of us on the planet decided that we aren't part of nature. Like until fairly recently, we were existing in a situation where we were totally dependent on the seasons, on the weather, on the saving of the seeds, you know, on making sure we're composting right. Like we were just fully intertwined in nature. And very recently, we've suddenly a few of us have been like, actually, no, we're going to put on our central heating and put on our clothes and switch on our electricity, which is a miracle. It's amazing. We're going to fly over the world. And I think that in the future we're going to look back at this at this time and it's going to be like insane like the things that we can do like the fact I'm talking to you through like a hunk of metal is like incredible um but it has meant that that we have become really disconnected from the natural world and you know um nature deprivation is like a real real thing and you can see direct correlations between physical mental well-being and our access to natural world as well as um correlations between our performance in jobs um and, and our life expectancy um and then that um access to nature also ties in with our ethnicities so it's like this whole massive complex kind of puzzle of disconnect from the natural world which affects those who are kind of I don't know how to say it maybe at the bottom of the pile like socially the most um and so the issue of connecting to nature and the issue of creating access to nature becomes not just a kind of issue of like we need to save the planet and so we need to connect to nature no because the planet's going to live without us like that's fine um it becomes an is- a social issue as well as an environmental uh, catastrophe issue um a social issue where like the access the lack of access to nature is also affecting like our food because if we're not um experiencing like a, a, a an abundant understanding of where our food comes from what a carrot looks like when it's in the ground and we don't get to interact with the soil in the way that our you know I don't want to say ancestors but you know literally our great-grandparents did um it really has a massive impact on our health so 
I think the thing with with connection to nature is that it becomes so much bigger than just like wellness. It becomes so much bigger than like um, how to feel better on a Monday morning, go for a walk. Although it has that effect, it like becomes, it's political. Access to nature, access to good food is political. It's racial, it's classist, like all these things play into it. And so, um, yeah, I think that it's a conversation that more and more is going to I mean, I'm seeing it this year is it's opening up um, and people are starting to see it as bigger than um, than going and meditating under a tree. Although I think that's really important. Um, it, it becomes something where it's like, if I have access to nature, what am I doing to make sure other people have access to nature? Mm. If I have access to the good food, how do I make sure that everyone does? Because again, it affects our performance in schools. So then our future careers and, you know, all this stuff, it's connected. So yeah. Um, I don't really know if that's answered your question, but I mean, yeah, I feel, I feel like a noddy dog. Like I'm just nodding along, like <laughs> agreeing with it all. Cause you're so right. How, how then Poppy, do you think we can, like, what's the future of this then? How can we bring nature into people's lives? Like you said, who are at the bottom of it all and who actually probably need that connection more than, more than anyone and need to mm. learn that and see that right that is what food is and it's not just something in a supermarket that's separate because a lot of young people especially in cities that's how they grow up and they yeah as you said they don't know how things are grown and how that makes its way onto into the supermarket shelves they just see it as like that's there and there's a complete disconnect so what would be your sort of opinion on on how we can change things or how we can even start I know that's big. (laughs) No, yeah, it's big, but it's the sort of thing that we all need to be like actually seriously having a think about because I personally feel, and I mean, I'm not like a scientist or like an anthropologist or anything. This isn't my like my personal musings, but I personally feel that if we're really serious about combating the climate crisis, then we really need to start tapping back into like this connection with nature and and, and start understanding like indigenous wisdoms, all these things that um, help us to connect to and understand our place within nature. Um, And yeah, so you're, you're asking how can we ensure that people have the opportunity and I think that things like community gardens I think are an amazing starting place um especially in urban landscapes and actually like I feel like I've learned so much from community gardens not just about growing but also just about human interactions um there's like nothing quite like just like sowing seeds side by side with someone and just having a chat and like I don't know it's it feels different to just sitting and doing nothing somehow it's like you're kind of bonding over putting like future life into the soil or something um and and I feel like currently I mean I was listening to a podcast by um Vandana Shiva I don't know if you've heard of her she's an incredible activist she's written um some incredible in, in amazing books on um the importance of shifting back into like understanding where our food comes from and connecting with nature and she was basically talking about how we're living in a world now where most people are going to be encouraged into tech jobs and so how do we create a, a, an opportunity for these young people in in um land-based activities that's appealing how do we make it something that people want to engage in um 
And so that's actually a big part of what I'm trying to do is like make it, I don't know, sexy. Like, you know, it doesn't have to be like this grueling, horrible labor. Like, you know, if we really tap back into indigenous wisdom about how we interact with the, the land, we can learn to do things in a way that isn't like manual backbreaking labor um and we can do it with joy like around each other and build these incredible powerful communities out of it so i think that it's 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 about creating a scenario that's equally attractive if not more attractive than the thought of having a, a safe job in tech um and and kind of <laughs> changing the narrative the story that we tell ourselves as a culture has a massive effect on where we end up going like it's not necessarily just policy on a government level it's like the the, the narrative we as people choose to follow mm. and i think that it's time for our narrative to change and i think it is changing yeah that's so beautiful i know you've spoken about that a bit poppy about like the bottom up way of change and rather than waiting for things to happen which I think is is so important and what um, definitely it starts with your own community as mm. big or as small as that is mm. yeah um I think that especially you know I think government policy and you know big corporations changing their ways is like has to happen it's we can't do it without that yeah. but however equally like you know is they're, they're, they're taking their sweet time. And, <laughs> and in the meantime, you know, we, we might as well get on with it. And, and the, the, the work of pressurizing, you know, government or corporations to make the right decision is like really depressing because it takes so long. So I think it's really important to like ground that in like, I don't know, doing some guerrilla gardening or connecting with a local, you know, community garden or joining a soup kitchen or whatever it is that's like actual you know, real life change. I don't know, more and more, I wonder if like real change happens with individual internal shifts, because like ultimately that's kind of, you know, is it about like critical mass of internal shifts? I don't know. (laughs) Hopefully, because then, you know, if you then go on to have children and you instill those values in them, then I mean, sure, that's a longer term solution. Mm, mm, mm. But it does mean that person by person having an internal shift is going to have an impact in the long run. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. On Whilst we're talking about kind of connecting to nature and stuff on a more personal level, what mm. would you recommend for people who are living in the city? And like, I found recently with lockdown that there's a lot of people I've spoken to who get to the end of the day and they say, I have not gone outside yeah. because it's dark by 4 PM. And so I'm wondering what, yeah, what tips you have for people on a personal level to be connecting more with nature and getting the benefits of that relationship with nature. Well, firstly, if you can't go outside, you can bring the outside in. And that's like something that people have done for a really, really long time. Like the tradition of bringing holly and mistletoe into the home has been done like the Druids did it. Like it's a long thing. We've always had the problem in the Northern Hemisphere of like it gets cold and dark and we don't really want to go outside. So, like, you know, just bring it in. Um, with respect, obviously, we don't want to go around hacking apart bushes and bring everything in. But <laughs> um, and then another opportunity option is to also just have, you know, house plants and tending to them. I know that for me that was like so that was kind of like the stepping stone into nature was just having them in my space. Um, 
especially for people who like, you know, when you first start interacting with nature, it's a bit muddy. It's a bit like creepy crawly. Sometimes it's nice to like have it on your terms in your space before you kind of take the plunge into going barefoot and like putting mud on your face or whatever it is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, I think that having, having houseplants and especially houseplants that are useful so for example, you can grow ginger, which makes a really beautiful houseplant. Obviously, it's really useful. You can eat the leaves as well as the root. Um, our pelargoniums can make really lovely tea. So there's lots of options of plants that you can keep inside that you can have this kind of really lovely interaction with where they're not just sitting looking pretty, but you can start eating them and you're like looking after them and they're looking after you. So that's nice. Herbs also work well like that. Um, and, and then I think that also feeling starting to feel comfy with going outside when it's dark or cold or wet can be like a really lovely like experience of being like this is all just part of it and it's okay it's okay to get a bit wet and it's okay to be outside in the dark obviously only do this if you're living in a safe neighborhood (laughs) um but yeah I think something that I really over the last couple of years have found like a lot of peace in is like feeling comfortable going for a walk in the rain or like going for a walk when it's dark and like experiencing nature in all these different moments because you know she's not as simple as just like sun on a summer's day yeah. um nice to get to know her on lots of different levels <laughs> yeah I, c- I know what you mean because I sometimes I have a dog so I have to go out whatever the weather I'm outside mm-hmm. and sometimes it is pissing it down with rain and you're soaking but it's actually really invigorating to like feel the elements yes yeah love it when it's sunny because it feels good but it kind of makes you feel more alive to be out in the wind and the rain and yeah it's either it's either Sophie Hellier that says this or it's her quote that she's taken from somewhere else but I've, I've definitely heard it from her she might have even said it on the podcast it was there's no such thing as bad weather there's only bad clothing or or something like that. (laughs) And I think that's so nice because it's not the weather's fault, is it? Like that, it's just being weather. And Mm -hmm. just like our depth of emotion, like that's the same with the, with the seasons and the sky and yeah, the weather. So I agree getting out, whatever the weather, I went out for a rainy walk before this and it was great. (laughs) On that, I met a dad once who he had a three-year-old son and he said he was very aware of the language he used with his child because, you know, the minute it's grey and raining and we go, oh, it's such a horrid day. Oh, it's so nasty outside. And he was like, it's not. It's cold. Put a coat on. But the language that you use, like, creates a reaction in you. So you don't like that weather and you think there's something bad about it. And I just think it's really interesting. And he said it about cold water as well. And obviously everyone's getting into cold water swimming now. But again, like, there's nothing inherently bad with cold, but it's our association with it. So I just thought it was really interesting that he said he was trying to bring his son up, not to say, like, oh, it's horrid weather today, to say it's grey and it's raining. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really, really interesting and important, like uh, a, a part of like mental well-being. Because I think that winter in the UK can be like really grueling. Like we're like, oh god, it's so dark and cold and wet. But like, yeah, like you said, it can it can be this thing where it's like actually this is just another beautiful moment of like maybe you're going to be inside more and that's okay and you can rest a bit. Like, yeah, I think I think part of it is that winter and being forced like to slow down a bit I think we find that really uncomfortable Mm. in our current society and culture um 
yeah stuff starts coming up or or you just don't slow down and it's just difficult because you're kind of pushing against um what nature's kind of encouraging yeah Yeah. (laughs) the last full moon that we had was it on monday was called um a beaver moon Mm. you and your beavers but I didn't I didn't know that we had a full moon that was called a beaver moon and it was I looked it up a little bit I didn't do much I mean both of you might know a lot more about this but I just thought it was so nice how it was called that because it was like the beavers have made their lodges they've collected everything they need to and then it's now time to just settle into winter and just like snuggle up as a beaver might do at this time and just hibernate and get cozy I thought it was so lovely oh I didn't know that at all I love that isn't it nice snug as a beaver <laughs> I love beaver. talking of people who make their homes on the water nice little segue <laughs> we want to chat to you about life on the boat I was going to say talking of getting wet or something but then you started talking about beavers and it was perfect <laughs> I saw, I was, I obviously had a little snoop around on the internet and I found a whole home tour of your houseboat, which I'm so in love with because I've always, always wanted to live on a boat and my husband won't let me. So (laughs) can you tell us about it? And obviously in particular, what was it like having such a passion for growing and being on the boat? Mm, so um yeah the boat um oh big blue she um we lived on her for like uh I think it was four years it might be a little bit more um in London and it was actually my boyfriend's idea I was quite anti-boat to begin with I was like I don't know about this and then we spent one summer and I was like yes sold (laughs) so um yeah it was all his fault (laughs) and we yeah what was it like I mean boat life is not easy I think the thing is that it, it is beautiful but it's like a life of contrasts because it's like quite difficult. You have to like do stuff like emptying out your toilets, which you don't have to do in a house. You have to be mindful of how much energy your solar is getting to charge your batteries. So how much you can use your appliances and like, you have to make sure you're not going to run out of water. You've got to get rid of your rubbish yourself. So it's like all these kind of, um, I don't know, I guess like little bits of life that you kind of forget about when you live in a house. And like, I'm so grateful now when the council comes and takes our rubbish or when I like flush the loo and I'm like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yeah, so I think it was a really good lesson in understanding like inputs and outputs, like how much is coming onto the boat versus how much is coming off the boat. Um, And we've actually now getting a well we were getting a compost loo installed on the boat which was going to be a really exciting kind of like final thing to try and make it a little sort of planet (laughs) Mm. um so yeah it was a really good lesson really amazing way to live in London in my opinion because it's a lot cheaper you're like on the water so you'll kind of feel a bit more like connected to the seasons you actually feel the seasons really intensely on the boat because there's like a kind of day when you light your fire and you don't really want to let it go out until spring because otherwise you get cold <laughs> so there's definitely like a seasonal connection um and yeah like I said growing on the boat it was really joyful like it was a challenge but it was I didn't really know anything else because that was my home and so I really kind of embraced it and I think it was a really lovely starting place in um, growing in containers because 
it's a bit more controlled and like especially on the boat I didn't have slugs or snails so I don't know <laughs> there's going to be a whole load of like kind of new things that I'm going to be getting to grips with um growing in my own space um but yeah it was pretty pretty magical but like I think you know living afloat meant that for a lot of the time we were moving around a lot along with me traveling a lot with work so it was kind of like everything was a bit floating and so I'm really like happy now to be like yeah exactly um it feels good (laughs) I went every time I cycle past I cycle along the canal and I see everyone on their boats and I just think, oh, what a life. Like, even when it's sussed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when lockdown one happened and we were locked down on the boat, I was like, so, like, the gratitude. I would just wake up and I was like, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, so, so grateful because, you know, it just felt so freeing being on the boat and not, like, in flats, which, you know, people, some people in flats literally said it was like hell on earth, lockdown yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. So... Now you've moved to Devon, Poppy, what are your plans for your garden now that you've you've got all this new stuff to get excited about? Have you got big plans for it? Yeah, so this is the first time that I'm going to be like managing the growing project because in the past I've been interacting with growing spaces as someone who's learning or like working underneath someone. Mm. So it's going to be like a massive learning curve being like the one who's fully in charge and like everything is down to me so I have had a couple of moments where I'm like oh my god am I going to do the right thing <laughs> but no I think you know having a bit have to have a bit of faith and um the plan for the space is to have at the bottom of the garden there's four really old apple trees so that's going to become like a little kind of forest garden type space so that's the idea of having ground cover potentially root crops potentially vine crops and you kind of mimic a natural forest scape except for everything's edible or useful so for example something I really want to put down there is wild garlic because it comes up very early in the year. So yummy. Like as you guys know, garlic is on my list of most yummiest things. So um, yeah, that's definitely on the list and it can take advantage of the early sunlight before the apple trees come into leaf. So that's the sort of thing that I'm thinking about for down there. And then also to have a no dig organic sort of kitchen garden space and then a space for herbs because is I love me my herbs and so do the pollinators so that's kind of what's in my mind it's just about figuring out exactly where everything slots together and before even going into that the very first thing will be figuring out water harvest and composting because they're kind of like the backbone of gardening that's really um regenerative rather than kind of depletive Mm -hmm. Mm. oh how exciting Yeah, it's really exciting. And, you know, in the long run, the plan is for the space to be able to be open for workshops or like people to just come and see because it's 150 square metres, which is just below average for a British garden. So it's very much within the realms of what is achievable for like the average person in England. It's not like acres and acres of land that you need gardeners for and stuff. So, yeah, the, the hopes is that it becomes like a demonstration space for, yeah. amazing right so great am I right in thinking you're near Totnes yes yeah is there still that amazing vintage shop there oh there is revival Revival. 
Yeah, treasure trove. It's so good. (laughs) Oh my God, for anyone listening, if you ever go to Totnes, it's like, it's like stepping into a fancy dress cupboard. Yes, it's just the best. It's like that back room that's full of wedding dresses. Yeah. Yeah, like all white with like, I think it's got glass roof or something because it's so bright. It feels like you've like stepped into Narnia or something. And loads of like old army jackets and stuff. Mm, yeah. So yeah. good. For anyone who's interested in their sustainable fashion. <laughs> Revival. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. I need to come. I need to come. I had to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> we would love to carry on talking to you all day about this. Mm-hmm. But as time has somehow escaped us, we'll talk about your healthy habit because mm-hmm. it's a really nice one. Tell us, puppy. What was your healthy habit? My healthy habit is ecstatic dance because I didn't feel like, you know, I already do interact with nature loads. This is all about interacting with nature. I thought, oh, what can I say that's beyond that? I'm not, um, you know, I'm not one dimensional, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I dance a lot. Um, Ecstatic dance, well, the type of ecstatic dance I do is called five rhythms. And it was um, a kind of like dance technique that was, I think the woman was in the 80s. She's called Gabrielle Roth. Um, And it's the idea that you like start off in like gentle flow kind of movements, which is meant to be like feminine energy. Um, And then you go into something called staccato, which is like more angular, which is supposedly masculine energy. And then it like builds up and it's chaos and you get a nice bit of like drum and bass or jungle and you just let go. And that's meant to be kind of like the collision of the masculine and the feminine. And then you have lyrical, which is kind of like what they birth. And then... um, which is kind of like ballet-ish gentle vibes and then there's stillness and everyone just sits down at the end and has a good old kind of lie down um and it's something that my partner and I used to do in London sometimes like two or three times a week and then it stopped like, so you do it in a big group there's someone leading the dance it stopped because of Covid obviously which is really sad um and since coming down to Devon I have like found a new dance group which has been really lovely but like just doing that at home alone is like the best and even like if I'm writing something or you know in the middle of a work thing that just feels a bit stagnant I'll just stand up and just like have a bit of a jiggle because it just like gets everything I don't know the floating off a bit um and it's great exercise as well so that's my healthy habit dancing (laughs) that's a good one where can we do that in London um, if you look up five rhythms online, there's a bunch of different groups. Um, the one that I used to go to is actually like it, it did its fine. They've closed now because of COVID. It was amazing. It was like 200 people in a church in Vauxhall. It was like incredible. And I remember when Extinction Rebellion was happening that summer, like the first spring that was like really intense, like a lot of us had been like on the streets and then we'd like go back to like the church and dance. And it was just like, Oof, so powerful. <laughs> wow. It's oh, and I'll, and I'll add to that that it's all sober. So the, the point is that you kind of get to a state of ecstasy sober. Mm. <laughs> Serena, um, so we trial it out, Poppy, but I know that Serena did this yesterday because she messaged me and she was like, oh, not having the best day. I'm going to do this after I cook Poppy's recipe. Mm. So... Yeah, Serena. And did it make you feel wonderful afterwards? Yeah, it always does. I, I'm more of a shaker than the dancer, as I think I've said on here before, because when I like dance, inverted 
quotes. I, I like when, if I dance as a way of releasing energy, I get to in my head about how it looks mm. and I care too much about like looking like a sexy dancer, which I am mad. <laughs> so I shake instead, which I love, but I, five rhythms sounds amazing because it's, and I'm not saying this to laugh at it. It sounds like rainbow rhythms. Yes, I was about to say that it oh. is rainbow rhythms. That's oh what gosh. rainbow rhythms is based on, except like, I don't know, rainbow rhythms is a bit more like woo woo, I guess. And it's they're like, all running around with each other on their shoulders. Yeah, exactly. The whole point is that you just move however the hell you want to move. Um, but it's funny, like the dancers that we used to go to in London, people would rock up in their like gym gear, like ready to sweat, <laughs> like rather than in their floaty ponchos or whatever but um yeah it's it's basically rainbow rhythms oh my god classic <laughs> and poor mark corrigan is like stiff as a board and wants to die because he feels so awkward yeah. poppy if you come to london again anytime soon and it's happening can you take us please yes a hundred percent yeah 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 definitely because i know sarah loves a good dance as well whenever she's in a funk she messages me being like i'm just dancing it out <laughs> <laughs> i love and it the music is just so powerful isn't it massively massively and it's just such a good release of like any stagnant energy that's mm. building up and you can just get out of your mind and be like into body so great yeah so yeah but if anybody's thinking of trying it don't watch peep show first because it might freak <laughs> you out <laughs> definitely watch it after because it's a proper laugh that episode is so good it's so good <laughs> so i'm really glad you found that funny didn't want you to think that um that I was being rude about it no and honestly I'd watched that episode before I went to my first like dance and I was just like if I'm honest the first dance I was like literally having to hold my breath to not laugh because I was just like what I could think of was rainbow rhythms and I was like oh my god but (laughs) (laughs) so good so good oh Poppy just want to just keep chatting all day but um thank you so much for for joining us no it was a total pleasure oh sorry I just sat on my cat a bit oh (laughs) thank you so so much for everything you've been fascinating And, and I can't wait to see how your garden progresses I know me neither it's really like yeah it's exciting (laughs) thanks Poppy thank you so much for having me thank you bye Oh, thank you so much, Poppy. She is just so fab and so just intelligent and wonderful. So thank you so much, Poppy. I particularly loved how many times Beavers came into our chat. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that she's a fan of Peep Show. (laughs) Because I am Peep Show's number one fan. Um, I know that I know these days you're really not meant to comment on how people look, but she's just so beautiful as well. She's like the most amazing earth mama. I love her. Yeah, she's absolutely gorgeous. Um, Also, quick peep show fun fact that we bumped into... Oh my God, yes! Peep show royalty. When we were walking the dog, a woman came and approached us and said, oh my God, your dog is so sweet, which she is. My dog is heavenly. And she asked where I got her. And we realised it was April from Peep Show. <laughs> Woohoo! We were both just staring at her like, you're April from Peep Show. You're April from Peep Show. <laughs> I've also spotted Dobby around my house. So I think that there's quite a lot of them collecting in the in the South London area. Just near you. Mm. All the Peep Show for you. <laughs> 
Ah, thank you all so very much for joining us this week. Um, if you would like the recipe for today's episode that we made for Poppy or Serena made for Poppy, then you can support us over on our Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com slash kitchen club podcast and there's lots more recipes and exciting content over there too and we'd love your support so we want to wish you a very merry christmas happy christmas hope you have a wonderful wonderful restful period um and we look forward to seeing you stuff full of roast potatoes when it's all over (laughs) bye Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.